Thank you for joining us for this week's message from the First Christian Church in Great Bend, Kansas. Each week we share thought-provoking and life-changing teachings on topics that are important and relevant to you in your life. We hope that you will be encouraged by our weekly podcast and will tune in regularly. Now let's join the First Christian Church of Great Bend for this week's message. So today we're in the sixth and final week of our sermon series called After God's Own Heart. And as you all know, what we've been doing in this series is we've been walking, walking through the incredible yet scandalous life of the great King David to see what this man has to teach us about how to live our own lives. So in week one, what we learned is that for God, what's in your heart, not what you look like or how old you are, is what's most important. Week two showed us that it's never been about what we can accomplish on our own or what we can do with the power of our own hands, but what God can do through us. Week three, we learned what it truly looks like to love our neighbors as ourselves, which I think is something we need to have ingrained in us these days. Week four, we found out that our God is not a God of instant gratification like a microwave, but instead a God who calls and then prepares us like a crock pot. And then last week, we learned not only about how David was this incredible king who was considered uh, to be the greatest king in the history of Israel. We learned about that. He was an amazing man. But in the midst of that, we also discovered that David had a whole lot of flaws or did a whole lot of things that, that we don't need to do. Especially when he responded to silence when evil happened in his own family. And so today, and to close this series out with a bang, we are going to be walking through another one of these scandalous stories from the life of King David. And it's one that you guys have heard probably a hundred times before. But what we're going to be examining this time is we're going to look at how our God can actually take the evil and sin that we do, and he can use it to do good. Because that's just how amazing our God is. So, it begins, 2 Samuel 11, one says this. In the spring of the year, the time when the kings go out to battle, David sent Joab with his officers and all of Israel with him. They ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But, and this is the big but you need to pay attention to here, David remained at Jerusalem. David remained at Jerusalem. Or, Basically, what's going on? Apparently, uh, in the ancient world, you took the winter off, and then when springtime hit, it's time to go war, to war again. So all of Israel goes out, but this time, instead of David going out and leading them, which is what he's supposed to do as the king, he decides he's going to take a vacation. He's going to spend some time at home. And as you know, oftentimes, when you're not where you're supposed to be, you end up doing some things you're not supposed to do. It happened. Late one afternoon, David arose from his couch and was walking about on the roof of the king's house that he saw from the roof a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful. Or no, because David is not where he's supposed to be as he's walking around on the royal balcony, which, mind you, is in a palace, which is above everybody else, so he has a great view. He happens to catch a glimpse of a woman who is all that in the back of potato chips, Right? And she's taking a bath. And she takes his breath away. And because he's the king, and kings get basically whatever they want, 
he does this. David sends someone to inquire about this woman. Or David sends one of his little minions out to check her availability, right? He can have any girl he wants in the kingdom, so he's going to check out this lady's availability. Then it was reported, this is Bathsheba, daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Now, after David receives that report, he should have shut things down right there. Because what this report tells him is that not only was she married, right? That should mean she's off limits right there. But she's married to one of his best soldiers who was out fighting for him at that very moment. And it's also the case that she is the daughter of one of David's most trusted advisors. So there's this warning sign. Stay away, stay away, stay away. Don't go anywhere near this lady. But even though... David clearly gets that this is a bad idea or something that could get him in a whole lot of trouble. Apparently because he's the king and the king gets what they want, right? He does it anyway. So David sent a messenger to get her and she came to him and he lay with her. And he lay with her. Which I think we can all agree is a dirtbag move, right? But just when you thought David couldn't get any more slimy, now that he has had his way with Bathsheba, he just sends her home and acts like nothing ever happened, right? Counting on the fact that this little rendezvous is going to stay between them. He's going to go back to his life. She's going to go back to her life. We're never going to talk about it again. But then this happens. Then she returned to her house. The woman conceived and she sent and told David, I am pregnant. I am pregnant which I'm pretty sure is the plot line for every daytime soap opera I have ever watched. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Days of Our Lives, uh, General Hospital. You people watch that stuff? I was just kidding. Don't be watching that trash. <laughs> now, at this point, and given that Bathsheba is pregnant, which means they no longer can hide the affair, what you would hope that David would do is come to his senses admit his guilt, do what needs to be done, and resolve the issue. Because after all, he is a man after God's own heart, and that is the right thing to do. That's what we're supposed to do in those situations. When we mess up, we fess up, and we suffer the consequences. Well, that's not what David does, right? He goes into cover-up mode. He goes into cover-up mode. He wants to protect his own tail. We've all been there and done that. Hopefully not with something this big, but we've all been to this place before. So David sent word to Joab, send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent Uriah to David. When Uriah came to him, David asked how Joab and the people fared and how the war was going. Or note that David sends out for this guy, and this guy's basically going to come back and report what's going on with the war. But while he's there, David says this, and this is important to get. Then David said to Uriah, go down to your house and wash your feet. Any of you know any Hebrew? You should, you should giggle on that one. Go down to your house and wash your feet. So washing your feet here is not washing your feet, if you haven't figured that out yet. Washing your feet is a Hebrew euphemism for having relations. Still no giggles? Right? You, got, you guys get it. Do I, do I need to go more in depth than that? I Hopefully you guys get that. So David's like, hey, why don't you go down and see your wife? And why would he ask her to go see his wife? Well, if they have relations, that means after the child is born, everyone would think it's Uriah's child, and then he's off the hook. It's a brilliant plan. Absolutely brilliant plan. But it's not a plan that works. 
Uriah didn't go down to his house. So David said, Uriah, you've just come home from a journey. Why didn't you go down to your house? Hey, go see your wife, man. Uriah said to David, the ark in Israel and Judah remain in booths. And my lord Joab and the servants of my lord are camping in the open field. Shall I then go to my house and eat and, or to eat and drink and to lie with my wife as you live? And as your soul lives, I will not do such a thing. Or, or note that the reason why Uriah does not go home and wash his feet is because he is such a devoted soldier that he would not allow himself to partake in the finer things in life when they are at war which is an honorable thing to do, and it shows his commitment not only to the nation of Israel, but to his king, David. Right? So you think, David, all right, this, this is a good guy. You need to fess up. But even that doesn't stop David's efforts. David invited him to eat and drink in his presence and made him drunk. Why did he make him drunk? What do you do when you've had too much to drink? Anybody had an experience with that? I haven't personally, but I, I've seen some of you and you look a little sketchy on occasion. So any of you, uh, <laughs> that's probably the wrong thing to say to church people, right? So you, you know those one people that we know that when they drink too much, they do wrong things. That's what he's trying to get him to do here, right? So if he's had too much to drink, maybe he'll kind of relax and he'll go down and finally have relations with his wife. But even that doesn't work because Uriah, in the evening, he went out to lie on his couch with the servants of his Lord, but he did not go down to his house. Again, this is a great guy. This Uriah is so committed, he's not going to do that. So again, you would hope at this point that David, a man after God's own heart, would finally come clean, confess his sins, and suffer the consequences because that's the right thing to do. That's what he needs to do. It's gone on long enough. Quit lying and, and just go take care of it, David. That's not what David does. In fact, he takes his cover-up as far as it can possibly go by having Uriah killed. In the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. Notice that he sends this, this death warrant for Uriah by Uriah's own hand. Uriah carries his own death letter to Joab. In the letter he wrote, set Uriah in the forefront of the hardest fighting and then draw back from him so that he may be struck down and die. So that he may be struck down and die. For that's how far David is willing to go to cover up his sin. But then it, it gets worse. And, and this is the part that a lot of people skip over. When the wife of Uriah heard that her husband was dead, she made lamentation for him. And when the morning was over, David sent and brought her into his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. Now, usually what we do is we skip over that part. All right, so his, her husband died, and so now she's the, the spouse of a king. That's a great thing, right? Well, have you ever thought about it from Bathsheba's angle? Have you ever thought about what it must have felt like for her to lose her husband? She was unfaithful. There's no doubt about that. But it's not like she wanted this guy dead. And then given that she's about to have this child, remember this child was the reason that her husband got killed. And then how devastated she's going to be when after she has David's child, the child ends up dying because of their sin. I mean, can you imagine the tragedy of that? Or can you imagine the guilt 
that she must have carried around during all of this. We don't think about Bathsheba in this because she's not mentioned all that often, but this is absolutely horrible. But I think the other question we forget to ask is this. What should happen to the man who caused all of this in the first place? What should happen to David? Nothing. What should happen to David? So I don't know about you guys, but it seems to me that what should happen to David because of the horrific actions that he's done is that God should do what he did with King Saul. Remember, when King Saul didn't do all the stuff that he was supposed to do, God found someone else and got rid of King Saul. That seems like what God needs to be doing here. Go out, find another king. Find someone who's better than David to make sure that this never happens again. And all because you really don't want someone who is capable of doing what David just did to be in charge of an entire nation. Because there's no telling what he would do even beyond this to save his own skin. And there's no telling what this kind of selfishness might do to an entire nation. So for me, the logical thing for God to do in this time and place is to get rid of David and to find a new king. Anybody else think the same thing after hearing this? Just me? Well, if you got some trouble if you're not thinking the way I am. That's all I got to say. Well, wait a minute. I can't say that. Now, as you read on, what you find is surprisingly, God not only doesn't reject David as the king. He doesn't push him away or send him out or anything like that. But even more remarkable is that God actually takes this relationship between David and Bathsheba, which is adultery, and ended in the death of two different people. He takes that, right? This this horrible relationship. And he brings about the next great king of all of Israel. Which is a king who was not only known for his wisdom, but who at first during his reign took Israel to the highest of the heights. I mean, even further than what David took the people and was the man who was responsible for building the temple or the very house of God where people would come to worship God for generations after this. So what all of that means is that strangely, our God can actually take evil. And I think we can all agree that that's evil, right? And bring good from it. You see that? No, nobody sees that? You're supposed to be going, oh. It's not, and so, and the truth is, is we don't normally think about it this way. We think black and white. Whether we like it or not, we are very black and white thinkers. It's a part of the human condition. Uh, Evil happens, so evil is going to resort. Evil people do evil things. We don't think of it in any other way. But what God is saying here, and it's not that God caused this evil to happen or wanted it to happen. It's that our God is so good and so graceful and so powerful that he can take evil and bring good from it. How many of you guys know what I'm talking about? How many of the best lessons in your entire life that have shaped who you are came from a horrible mistake that you made? Yeah. This is what God does time and time again. And it's why, you know, we live in this world 
And, and people are so fearful that there's, it just depends on what side you're on, but both sides are, are condemned as evil. Both are evil. And so it's why I don't get all worked up about it. Because even if evil happens, even if this bad thing happens, what our God does is he takes those moments and he brings good from them. We see it time and time again. Because if God can take this evil of Bathsheba and David and bring about the next great king of Israel, don't you think he can take the sin, the evil, who you are, and do incredible things? Come on, that's good news. Which ultimately means you no longer have any excuses. You no longer have any excuses. One of the big, big, biggest excuses that I hear from people about why they're not committed, why they're not going out and doing incredible things, or at least striving to do incredible things for Christ in this world, is because they're not good enough. It's because there's this sin that they're ashamed of, or this sin that they did to hurt someone else. And I'm not denying that. We, we've all done some of that stuff. But what this goes to show you is that there is no excuses. Because God can even take you and do remarkable things. The, the, the problem is, is we say no. Or we continue to say over and over again, I'm not good enough. So quit saying that. Repent of your sin. Admit your guilt. And go, God, I, I can't do anything on my own, but I've seen how you've taken evil and done good. Do that with me. Let us pray. Oh, Father, the story of David is absolutely incredible. We have been inspired for the last six weeks, not only in how we should be living our lives, but also on a couple of things that we shouldn't be doing. But ultimately help us to see, Lord, that in the same way you used David, an infallible in perfect man who made horrible mistakes and actually did some horrible things that you used him to save and transform the world, that you can do the same with us. That you can take the evil and sin and stain of our lives and make something beautiful out of it. Or help us, O oh Lord, quit being the kind of people who make mistakes or quit being the kind of people who don't think we're good enough or make excuses and just learn to say yes and then watch as you do incredible things in our lives and in the lives of others through us. We ask this all in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. You are invited back next week for another life-changing message from the First Christian Church of Great Bend, Kansas. Please check out our website at www.fccgbk.com. That's fccgbk.com. May you have a blessed week.